Hello and welcome to a new episode of Let's Shape the Future. I am your host Ben Dickinson and this is a show where I chat with business leaders, inspiring individuals and more about who and what is shaping the world we live in. A big thank you to the sponsors of today's episode, which are Beamery. If you enjoy the content, please leave a review and share with any friends, family, colleagues or anyone else you think would also enjoy. We've got a great guest on today's show who has previously joined us on Let's Shape the Future. So let's see what the new normal for airlines looks like now. So in December 2020, uh, myself and today's guest got together to discuss the new normal for airlines. Now more than a year on from that conversation, I'm thrilled to be joined again by Mark Gallardo, Senior Vice President of Network Planning and Revenue Management at Air Canada. Mark, it's great to see you again and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you, Ben. And uh, as, as always, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a privilege. really enjoyed doing it the first time around. Um, I think a lot of my friends and family got to Got to be a part of that podcast. Got to see it. Got to uh, you know listen to it. And uh, looking forward to doing this again. Thanks again. Thanks. No, and I've got to say, our episode is actually the most listened to episode that I've had. So um, I, I owe you a is lot it? for that. Yeah, and they, yeah, the, the, we number, the numbers are great. <laughs> yeah, can, that's that's. Can, the can plan. we one up it with this one? <laughs> that is the plan. Um, so for for those that maybe haven't had a chance to listen to our original episode yet, or have heard of Air Canada but not necessarily interacted with your business did you want to give them a brief description of who you are as an organization and where you kind of sit in the airline market yeah absolutely um you know air canada is a global airline uh, obviously based in in canada mm-hmm. um we are you know within the top 15 airlines of of the world uh we are a full service airline focused on uh, uh what we call a network model Mm-hmm. So basically, our goal is to link Canada to the world. Uh, our ambitions are international and global in scale. Um, we pride ourselves on being the top choice for Canadians, but we also see ourselves as a global airline reaching outside of the borders of Canada. Uh, and you know, one of our major strategies is to connect North America at large with the international market. Mm-hmm. So although we're a, a Canadian airline and a and a mighty airline, we are. You know, we're also focused on. Uh, our, uh, our friends down south being the USA, the, the, the largest air travel market in the world, and making sure that our hubs are well positioned to capture global travel. Amazing. And congratulations on your new role. Uh, obviously, it's changed slightly from um, when we last spoke. In um, December 2020, it was purely around network planning and alliances. And I was just wondering, what does your role now look like, given that you've got revenue management in that fold as well? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's definitely a lot of responsibility and a huge challenge. So uh, basically, down under my portfolio, you've got vision all the way to execution, and um, um, you know the network planning team and alliances team look further out, build schedules, build network plans, make decisions on where we're going to fly far out, um, and the revenue management team is wrong, is responsible for execution and bringing in. The money, as we say, so it's where the magic happens, and it's it's a it's a huge responsibility. Uh, you know, basically in 2019, you know, we we had almost 15 or just north of 15 billion in passenger revenue. So that team is focused on making sure that we bring in as much revenue as possible by you know uh, what are the types of fares that we're going to sell, what are the origins and destinations, what's the best mix of fares and inventory to put out there. So it's really, you know, where the magic happens. So basically I get to manage all the way from vision all the way to execution. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you get to look, what we call in the network or sort of in the airline language, you get to see the short term and you also get to see the long term and the very long term. 
So it's, um, it's really, really a, a huge challenge and a pretty big distinction to have all of that in, uh, in my portfolio. So definitely very uh, proud and humble to have that. Mm, I can imagine, especially in the climate that we're in, revenue management, that, that's the toughest scenario for you to be put in that role. Is that right? Absolutely. It, it is right now because we, you know, typically in the past, revenue management had roadmaps and the roadmaps were history, mm. uh, how things develop, you know, when bookings came in. Uh, you always had some, a benchmark or a guide to see how you're doing versus history. This time, as you know, all the playbooks have been thrown out and it's now all about what you think may happen in the future. Mm. And in this environment, you know, with all these variants and waves, uh, it feels a bit like a roller coaster. Mm. And sometimes you get caught in a situation where demand is coming in so fiercely, so near term uh, that you just didn't expect it. So you're playing catch up and then you're in a position where things start to fall apart as variants and travel restrictions take on. And, uh, you know, so you get to really see the huge ups and downs. Yeah. I can imagine no day is the same at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you 2021, um, you know, as I was joking with my colleagues, uh, I think 2021 was tougher than 2020 because in 2021, we started, you know, in a de facto coma, uh, you know, in here in Canada, you know, right after we did our podcast, we had a, a bout of travel shaming mm-hmm. uh, that occurred early in 2021. And for the first four to five months in the year, you know, Canada imposed such very, very challenging travel restrictions that basically nothing was happening. And then as the population started to get vaccinated um, and travel restrictions start to progressively be eased, we saw this huge pent up demand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always said pent up demand was a theory, uh, it's actually reality. And uh, we've never seen bookings come in so strongly uh, and so sort of aggressively in such a narrow period. Uh, And that continued until we had, you know, basically Omicron and things start to look like the first half of the year again. But I think now we're we're back on the on on the way up. So it's good news. No, that's good to hear. And um, a a new aspect that I've brought into Let's Shape the Future since we spoke last time is I've created a couple of little quickfire questions that I like to call in a section, what has shaped the guest. So the goal is to kind of help the audience get to know the person behind the job title a little. Does that sound okay? Absolutely. Let's do it. So the first question um, is, what does a typical Saturday look like for you? Hey, a tough question. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, Saturday uh, is, I'm trying to make a huge effort to really make it a family day. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got two young ones at home. uh, And, but at the same time, I wake up in the morning and I tried to sneak in looking at the data of, you know, what kind of bookings came in and, and, you know, uh, so it's, it's, I say, it's, I call Saturday a transition day, a transition mm-hmm. away from the work week, uh, incorporate family. I got to do a better job. My wife reminds me of that all the time. Um, but more and more, I'm trying to use Saturday as a day to disconnect from, um, you know, the huge pressure that sometimes you feel uh, from Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with two little ones at home uh, who are growing up very quickly, it's a renewed focus on making sure that my top priority is them. Nice. Absolutely. And if you're on a plane, if you could add one film to the in-flight entertainment system, what film would that be and why? Apollo 13. Um, Apollo 13 is my favorite movie. Um, I would call Jim Lovell one of my, um, one of my heroes. Uh, As a young kid, when I watched Apollo 13, I was just completely, um, you know, sort of like uh, really interested about his leadership uh, skills to watch a, a near disaster and watching somebody calmly 
uh, all the teams come together to make sure that all those astronauts came back home and fighting all the challenges that they had, you know, to bring everybody safely back home. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite movies and obviously a huge part of um, an inspiration to my own leadership um, style. Mm, nice. I, I went to Miami in December for work and um, it, obviously that's like a nine, 10 hour flight for us. And the the difference in films I watched was crazy. I started with the with Creed two, obviously the boxing film, and then I went on to watch The Notebook. So yeah, there was <laughs> there, there's so much it's quite the mix, <laughs> yeah, quite <laughs> quite a mix. Um, and finally, um, I love to find out from our guests who is your biggest inspiration. Yeah, in my personal life, my um, my biggest inspirations were my my grandmothers, and my grandmothers came from Italy, a part of Italy that was particularly impacted by world war ii mm-hmm. um and prospects were poor and they basically emigrated uh away from italy into canada with barely a nickel to their name and all of this to make sure that you know future generations such as myself can have a better quality of life so i look at their sacrifices their tenacity um in the face of great uncertainty and great unknowns uh and um they're they're my biggest inspiration uh you know uh in my life for sure mm-hmm. No, is I said it in my last episode, and it's 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 not strange, but the theme I asked that question to all of my guests, and ninety ninety five percent say that their biggest inspiration is someone in their family, and I think that screams a lot into where you can draw inspiration from in making you a successful leader. So no, that's um that that's really interesting to hear. Um, so going to back to the sort of you you brought on the topic of 2021 so sort of go back to that a a quote from our original episode from yourself is we like certainty we like predictability we like to have a roadmap we have no roadmap you sort of went into it a little bit there but so how was 2021 for air canada and did the rate of passenger return follow the kind of expectations that you thought especially up till the sort of summertime when omicron then came in yeah. So, you know, when I said there's, there's no roadmap is basically all the history we once had, we basically had to throw it out and start afresh with a brand new strategy and perspective. And we said, you know, we, we think leisure travel will bounce back. We think there's, there is pent up demand that exists. Uh, and we said that, you know, uh, in a country like Canada, which is extremely multicultural, we rely significantly on immigration you know, we call VFR visiting family relatives traffic was also going to be very resilient and we needed to shift towards that. So 2021 basically confirmed all of those perspectives. So all the things that we theorized about, we saw it in 2021. Interesting. So, so now we've got a roadmap. Nice. Um, you know, is it a complete roadmap? I would say not so much, but it's, it's a roadmap, at least something you can go with. So 2021, I would say, like I, like I said in my earlier remarks, you know, the pent-up demand factor was certainly there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we were going into the late third quarter and fourth quarter, the expectation or the viewpoint was recovery is shifting left. So whereas before we were saying full recovery to 2019 was going to be a 2024, 20, 2025 phenomenon, increasing confidence that this was actually going to become 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still of that perspective but you know what omicron and what comes next nobody knows you know you've got certain experts saying it's endemic you have other experts saying new variants are coming so there goes the roadmap again you know it's what what comes next is the greatest uncertainty that 
of course, people in the airline industry really don't like. Mm. We, we mentioned last time as well that um, Bill Gates said that he didn't expect business travel to get back to even 50% of what it was. Do you, I know obviously you said about how pent-up um, travel for holidays and for long-distance um, families. Was there much sort of insight into how much business travel came back? Or was it like, for example, I was in Miami for, for work, so I know that there is a demand there. Did you see much of that as well? We did not in 2021. We start to see the momentum uh, of returning because there was a lot of discussion in the fourth quarter about returning to office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we start to see the momentum, but we saw flashes of it, but we never really saw a concrete view that you know business travel is going to return. But uh, you know, we've we've engaged many experts. Um, we've surveyed many corporations in Canada, but also globally. Business travel will come back. The question is to what extent, uh, in what sectors, uh, will it be for short-term trips, you know, the in and out type mm-hmm. work- workers, or is it, you know, sort of a long trip to Europe where you're making multiple stops, et cetera. So that's um, still unknown, uh, but we're confident it's going to come back. But one part of business travel as well that we're concerned about, um, or we have to adjust to is the fact, you know, for sustainability, and a lot of corporations have pledged, you know, uh, net zero by 2015. Obviously, cutting down on corporate travel is a way to contribute to that pledge. So, um, so obviously, we think the business travel sector is forever, you know, changed, and there's a, will be a shift no matter what. It's up to us to adjust to that now. So, to that point of sustainability, whilst you, you mentioned it, is there much that airlines can do to kind of not combat that sort of sustainability piece, but make it more appealing or more sustainable for that sort of travel to be available should they need it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a combination of efforts, um, you know, for, for sustainability. And, and by the way, you're seeing a lot of airlines sort of early out of the gate trying to champion, you know, sustainability and trying to build a lot of brand love around that. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a various ways to get there. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously the modernization of airplanes. You have a, the new generation of airplanes that are much more fuel efficient. You've got sustainable aviation fuels. We're in very early days of that. It's, it's quite costly, but eventually we hopefully get to a place where it becomes a little bit, a little bit more sustainable economically as mm-hmm. well, uh, and the supply chain grows. Uh, there's electrification of all of the ground vehicles that we use you know, to load airplanes, and you know, we can't deny that that obviously contributes to greenhouse uh, gas emissions. Um, you know, and then in, in the, I would say in the long-term future, there's going to be electric airplanes, hydrogen options, but I would say we're, we're at least 15 to 20 years away from that being a real reality as opposed to, you know, a paper sort of reality. No, it would be interesting to see, as you say, when those sorts of things happen. Obviously, some electric cars only have a range of sort of 300 miles. So it'd be interesting to see how that then transitions yeah. into planes with the weight and that sort of stuff. No, that, um, I can't wait for that. And Obviously, we mentioned 2021 and Omicron thrown a massive spanner in the works. How did that sort of, obviously, you will have had an idea of what 2022 would have looked like or what your goals for that was. Did Omicron change those? And what does you, what are your goals as Air Canada for 2022 at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, pre-Omicron, um, like I said, you know, we, it was beating our expectations in terms of recovery. Uh, we were heading into the first quarter and we were seeing significant pent-up demand for leisure travel. Uh, mm. Canadians in the winter 
can't stand the cold. So they typically make vacation time to go down south, whether it be Florida, whether it be uh, the Caribbean, Cuba, Mexico, Hawaii, et cetera. So we were definitely seeing a huge recovery there. And then we were starting to see significant recovery into markets where there's a big Canadian um, cultural community, so India, mm-hmm. Africa. Um, what we didn't see is we didn't see Asia because obviously China, Hong Kong are still yeah. closed, will be closed for you know a significant period of time. So we were starting to get really encouraged about the optimism of a recovery in 2022. Now, Omicron really was a brutal awakening. But what we are continue to be very optimistic about is that you know, once we get through this wave, Q2, Q3, we want to get back to at least three quarters, if not more, of our 2019 size. And it's important we do that because we have a lot of fixed costs. The airline business is usually a high fixed cost base, you know, uh, uh, um, you know uh, entity to work with. You've got a lot of airplanes that are, um, you know, it's like a factory. They've got to be up in the air. They've got to be running. They've got to be running efficiently if we're going to get our economics right. Uh, you have a big uh, labor staff um, that needs to obviously be efficient, needs to be productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting the airline back up to a place that's 70 to 80% size means the machine starts to work much more efficiently. Uh, and now we can get our economics in the right place to be sustained, you know, financially sustainable again. You know, airlines with a big, big fixed cost uh, infrastructure running at 40 or 50% of their size just leads to high what we call high unit costs. So we're, we're hoping and hopeful and still optimistic that as we get to summer of 2022, you know, the Air Canada machine will be running efficiently again. And that's, that's what we're applying to right now. Nice. Fingers crossed. And obviously you mentioned a bit there about the sort of fixed costs you've got. And obviously a big part of your job, especially recently, or your team's job has been working out which routes to restart and when. How difficult has that task been given that You've obviously got to take into account COVID restrictions in each country, entry requirements, the demand for tourism in different destinations. But also to that point there, not only have you got to get the plane in the air, but you've got to get the staff to man those new routes and that sort of stuff. There's so many different factors that surely go into those sorts of decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, there's where we, as a rule, where travel is somewhat liberal, um, you know, in terms of entry requirements, you see the return of demand. And Europe, um, you know, in the summer relies a lot on inbound tourism and they've typically been open for travel. And, you know, we've seen rebounds in Europe. We've seen rebounds in, um, in uh, the Caribbean, in the U.S., even within Canada. So uh, we know, you know, that Canada has got a very strong affiliation with Europe. There's a lot of cultural affiliations, uh, you know, here in the province of Quebec with France. It's a huge market that rebounded super quickly. So that gave us a sense, okay, we got to get back to Paris. We got to get back to Lyon. We got to get back to, you know, in the UK and Ireland, you know, we saw things rebound quickly. Okay, let's get back into Dublin. Mm. Um, you know, we, we know that the Mediterranean is super hot. You know, we, we were one of the first to act on Athens, um, you know, and we were flying the largest aircraft into Athens. We were flying huge 777s. Our American peers were flying smaller airplanes. So we've been really ag- aggressive and taking risk and they've largely paid off. And then we've got uh, a huge cargo component behind this as well. So cargo, you know, supply chain is forever um, impacted. And we can see now that, you know, air cargo is sort of the way to help out with that sort of supply chain bottleneck. And that's given us, you know, another layer of revenue of insurance to, to restart a lot of these routes. Yeah, I bet 
because a lot of people don't think about how big the sort of air cargo business is as well to airlines, right? They just think of it being the passenger planes rather than the sort of even things like Formula One moving the cars from country to country. Like there's so many things that people don't think about in terms of the logistics. But um, to, to some of your points um, that you were saying, obviously a lot of passengers when they're looking at flights for their current holidays, they use price as a deciding factor for which airline they're going to go for. What can airlines do in order to remove price as that pure deciding factor for when a passenger is choosing which airline to travel with? So I'm, I'm of the view that price is one element. It's not the final element in a, a customer's choice of travel. Um, yes, there's, there's a segment of the market where price is king and they'll take three stops to get to their destination, no matter how circuitous. It is what it is. But I think the, the, the majority of travelers are, are actually looking for value. And value is kind of a matrix between price, um, convenience of schedule, nonstop versus one stop, uh, comfort, being rewarded for your loyalty. And two big uh, terms that are coming out now is customer experience, you know, and ease of doing business with. And that's where the airline business is you know, perennially struggled. So I think going forward, uh, ease of doing business and customer experience is obviously going to be the key differentiator in the value matrix. And that's where we're focused. You know, as we think of post-COVID, we're much more focused as an organization on the latter two um, uh, sort of items there. No, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I think especially given that for a lot of holidays, you will need covid tests you'll need vaccination um documentation that sort of experience of how easy is this airline going to make me to travel and what have the experiences of other people's been for me to sort of work out how easy that is it's probably a big factor at the moment right absolutely and and um you know one of the things that we're seeing right now is this new phenomenon called premium leisure a lot of of customers have saved a lot of money through COVID, you know, here in Canada, you're reading about a lot of customers who saved money and spent it on alcohol. Uh, but, you know, we, we definitely see, um, you know, premium leisure rebounding. A lot of airlines have said so. So basically we're seeing a lot of customers willing to buy up to a superior product, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, for greater comfort and also for a more efficient travel experience. So again, I think we're moving away from just price to all of the above Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the reason, you know, one of the things about traveling with a big sort of experienced airline, like one of the global airlines of the world is we have the experience, you know, if something goes wrong. We know how to take care of our customers. We know how to recover. You know, if you fly with a, a smaller airline or less experienced airline, you know, you typically are prone to big delays, um, you know, fewer recovery options. You know, if you really want the peace of mind of having an efficient travel, again, you look at that value matrix uh, it's it's pretty clear who's going to give you the best experience. Yeah, and that's a, it's where sort of brand awareness and your reputation in the market plays a massive role in the sort of future revenue revenue that you can get, right? And I think to your point, to your point, I think there's a lot of segments of different passengers that are willing that have different deciding factors for how they're going to travel. And like you say, there's a lot of people that have actually saved up quite a lot of money, so they might go well, actually. For this flight, I'm going to do premium economy. It means I can exactly. get on a plane easier. I can have more comfort. I've not been away for two years, so let's treat ourselves to a premium economy. Like exactly, um, there's probably loads of that stuff that goes on. And um, 
Sorry to interrupt, guys, and I hope you're enjoying the conversation. As we reach the halfway point of the show, I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about the sponsors of today's episode of Let's Shape the Future, Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform helps the world's largest organizations deliver more human experiences for talent and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce. Whether you're struggling to compete for the best talent, are looking to move the needle on your DEI objectives, or simply leverage AI to drive more efficiency, then Beamery could be the best next step in your talent transformation journey. If you'd like to learn more, then visit beamery.com or reach out to me directly, and I can put you in contact with the right people. Now, let's get back to the episode. To sort of move on to you as a person and your your role specifically and, and your leadership style. Recently, I've, I've become fascinated with leadership at both a corporate and an individual level. And it's putting you on the spot, so I apologize in advance. But if I said to you, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, what would be Air Canada's why? If I'll make this a little bit um, personal in the sense that you know, when, when you look at the airline business, it's typically a very emotional business. And it's a business that drives a lot of passion because there's, there's a nationalistic component to it. You know, you're flying your country's flag all over the world. Um, and so there's something very unique about that, you know? So I would say, you know, a lot of those who work at Air Canada is because we're basically exporting the Canadian flag across the world. So mm-hmm. you, you rally behind, you know, that sort of concept. Um, and that's how we found a lot of passion and a lot of engagement from our, our employees was the mission of Air Canada becoming a global champion, you know, seeing Canada compete on the global scale against the British Airways of the world the air frosts of the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it just drove a lot of pride and a lot of alignment internally. And I subscribe to that because a bit of my background, I think we, we discussed in the last episode, I've been, um, you know, an aviation geek, not, you know, since I, I was a kid and, you know, I've always dreamt about being in the job that I am right now. You know, I, as a kid, I, instead of reading, uh, you know, doing my homework or reading the, the, my assignment, you know, I'd be, spending time looking at airline timetables, you know, probably why I wasn't the best of students. So (laughs) for me, for me, I think, you know, when I look at the, my team around me, I think they they see somebody who's very passionate. There's a lot of, and the purpose is uh, to make sure that, you know, this airline is super competitive globally. Um, And I generally feel, you know, that same pride from my employees and and my staff. And um, like I said, again, it's, it's a super passionate business. You know, I'll, I'll, even during COVID times, you know, when we're very few employees uh, in the office, you know, when a big Air Canada airplane was landing, everybody would go to the window together, you know, and be proud to see this airplane land on the, on the runway. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, um, it's a different business. Mm. No, no, it's great to hear. And you mentioned there about how when you were young, you spoke about how you were obsessed with planes and you would ride your bike to the airport to, to watch them take off and land, which is, which is amazing. And now you're a senior vice president at Canada's largest airline that must fill you with an enormous sense of accomplishment and pride is the mentality of following your passions, something which you try and relay to your teams, but also upcoming people in your family and other generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things that I've, that I've really appreciated is to see, people, um, employees um, who have that same youthful passion I had in my 20s, 
you know, now they're in their twenties and I see it in them. I see kind of the, the lights turned on, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm like, and I, and I try to mentor them. I try to teach them. I try them for them to learn on the experiences I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, you know, there's, there's many businesses or many opportunities that I could have gone uh, through or undertaken. But for me, you know, it was always about being a part of the, uh, of the airline business and to see other people kind of fall in the same mold. You know, they have very, very smart people. They have opportunities in other industries, but to see them, um, you know, really, really energized in the airline sector reminds me a bit of where I came from. And, you know, one of the things I like to do is obviously, you know, teach from the experiences that I've had and make sure that there's a future generation, you know, to, that are going to carry the torch forward. Obviously, like I found it in my career, the the importance of mentoring has been huge, both in terms of what you can learn, but also who people can introduce you in certain scenarios to if they might be not the, the best person to chat about certain subjects. To flip it on its head there, how big do you see the value in sort of reverse mentoring? Like how much can senior leaders learn from up and coming generations in terms of what can then help the business succeed and in your role Absolutely. specifically you've got like how do you maximize the revenue that a company like air canada can bring in there's probably a lot of stuff that fresh ideas of individuals coming up that can then provide to sort of solve those sorts of problems yeah absolutely and and you know in this day and age there's a huge value on talent and there's a scarcity of talent and the ideals of future generations are a bit different than the ones we we currently have or i have so obviously learning, um, you know, that reverse mentoring is learning a little bit about, more about what they want out mm-hmm. of their careers and what they want from their experiences and making sure that we adapt to, you know, their norms as opposed to the reverse. Because again, you know, like it, it's a, it, there's a huge, huge value for talent and brain power. And there's no shortage of people willing to put a lot of money down for anybody who's got something to offer these days. Yeah. So it's, you've got to find a way to build those bridges, you know, between youthful generation, current generation, older generation, you know, to make sure that we, that we keep them engaged and we keep them motivated. Um, so that, I think that's a very good point. I think it also comes back. I produced a bit of content the other day in terms of the difference between micromanagement and creating an environment for individuals to succeed and what you were talking about there especially is instead of like i i sort of used the the reference of a sort of lemon and a lemon tree right you've got a lemon that's been completely juiced so the leader has got what they want out of that person but what's left is the shell of that individual and they will not have had a great brand experience or anything like that whereas if there is a sense of trust and an environment where that individual has been set to succeed then that's when that piece of fruit becomes or prospers and becomes that tree and then everyone enables everyone else to succeed so you still have the end goal where everyone gets what they need and everyone meets the objectives but you then cover the things off like you said in terms of employee experience and ensuring that though that talent feels welcomed in an organization yeah and and the first thing i would say to that is you know, I come from a bit of a generation um, or when I first started at Air Canada, um, you know, I, I entered when I was 20 years old and I had a bunch of elders that said, you know, kids sit in the corner and speak when spoken to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I survived in that generation. I, I had to bite my tongue a lot, but that was the way things were not so long ago. 
it's a bit different now. Um, and, and, and the first thing that you have to do is you have to, you know, as a leader, you cannot be seen as someone who's aloof and not visible, um, you know, door closed policy. Mm-hmm. You got to reverse, you know, you got to reverse that hierarchy type of feeling and you got to kind of feel like you're all together in a team and got to teach them, you know, to take risks um, and to be comfortable sharing ideas, no matter how, you know, sort of, you know, uh, intelligent the idea may be or less intelligent. I, I, there's no bad idea out there. Um, and, and, and it's only then that you can really start to get, you know, the ideas and the thinking and the ability to take risk from your employees. Um, and there's a lot of ideas, you know, and people who are in their twenties that floated up to me that I didn't even think about that we acted mm. on and that worked super well. Uh, you know, a couple of root decisions that we made, you know, recently were, were a 20 year old, you know, who I respect a lot knocking on my door saying, Hey, what about this? And I didn't even consider it. I'm like, you know, slept on it. I'm like, that is a friggin' good idea you know, um, you know, and brought all of my senior leaders together and say, look at this idea that we never, ever considered. And it turned out to be great, you know, and you gotta, you gotta develop a culture like that because, you know, not long ago, you know, to get that idea up the chain, you had to speak to the manager, then not to speak to the supervisor, then had to speak like way too many layers to way too much hierarchy. You got to cut through all that. Um, and that's, that's the type of dynamic we have in our team here at Air Canada, which I really, really appreciate. And obviously I contribute to that. No, absolutely. And I think is it linked to what you said in terms of it kind of just been quite aggressive in the decisions they've made or the the sort of the routes that they've chosen in certain instances. And I think it's also instilling that culture of the allowance for mistakes. And yep. if you if you sort of embrace that culture of there needs to be risks in order, especially for a large organization like Air Canada, to keep up to speed with the startups and the challenger airlines and that sort of stuff you need to instill a culture like that because obviously it's a lot harder for a large organization to be that agile just given the size of it but that's why the culture you're speaking about is exactly how it should be right absolutely and when you have a culture like that and people who are passionate about the business it's a really good formula for success absolutely and so just um looking into my sort of crystal ball and I've had some conversation, there's been loads in the news about the metaverse gaining traction and billions of pounds being injected into the development of sort of associated technologies. Do you anticipate and sort of another major pivot point being on the horizon for airlines in general? Ben, that's a tough question for me to answer because, you know, I've only recently been introduced to the metaverse Mm. um, and um, I'm I'm still in shock uh, and I'm still trying to, uh, learn more about it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, at first, at, fr- at first I, I, I have very sort of strong opinions, but I know that I have to, um, adapt, learn more, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and certainly listen to people who have a great interest in what the metaverse can offer. Um, so it's a tough question for me to answer. I think it's a, I'm going to need a little bit more experience and a little bit more education before I can say, you know, how this is going to change the dynamic. But uh, a friend of mine, uh, you know, offered to buy me the Vatican, on the, on the metaverse. Nice. Uh, so I'm, I'm about to take him, I'm about to take him up on his offer, whatever that means. Nice. Nice. Uh, it'd be interesting. We could do another episode in a couple of years. And so when we're all in the metaverse and then we can, <laughs> we can have that discussion there. Um, exactly. To, to a couple of your points earlier, I just wanted to sort of zone in on the talent for one question is to enable Air Canada to achieve both its short and long-term goals. How important is it for you as a business to attract and retain the best talent? 
that is uh, a huge debate that I'm having with uh, some of my HR colleagues currently. Um, you know, talent attraction is, uh, is, is everything because we're about to face a significant wave of, of people heading to retirement with a lot, a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges I found so far is, you know, us attracting the best and brightest from university. You know, airlines have never been top of mind. You know, you think of a startup, you think of, um, of, of joining a consulting company, you think of, you know, you think of joining a finance company uh, or going to tech, you know, airlines typically were not front and center of the sort of talent uh, uh, universe right there. Part of it is, you know, how we compensate people. Mm-hmm. Part of it is the, is just, you know, increasing the awareness of the airline business and all the things that it brings to people who are not passionate about the airline business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a huge, huge challenge for us because, again, if, if we don't have the best and brightest uh, and if we can't attract top end talent, you know, it's going to be very challenging for us. And then we bring them in, you know, uh, attrition and, and retention has been an issue. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a different dynamic right now. But, you know, I cannot say for sure that we got the right formula just yet on how to do that. And I, and I think in that moment of honesty, I think many organizations will see the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a load of businesses are in the exact same boat, especially incumbent businesses who are facing competition for, from, for talent that they wouldn't have had before. There's organizations that are all competing with the Facebooks, the, um, the, those sorts of companies, tech firms for the engineering talent, which every business needs to succeed. Right. So right. there's, there's so much that goes into that. Um, so no, and I appreciate all the, the openness in that. Um, and then finally, just to round things off, I always love to get one final piece of advice from my guests to anyone that's listening. And that could be to sea levels, to management, to early talent, or kids currently riding their bike to the airport. What would that piece of advice be? Well, two things, two things I would say. Firstly, um, for anybody you know, who's got um, you know, very early on in life, you know, has or recognizes what it is that they're passionate about, let that guide you. Certainly that that's been my ideal. And then as you sort of get, you know, in an organization, in a job, and you're working with a lot of different people and a lot of different other, you know, internal stakeholders or external stakeholders, the one thing that I've learned over my career is, you know, to pick your battles. Um, and and when you when you find a battle that's worth it, push like hell. Uh, and that's been sort of my mantra. Um, and uh, and obviously that formula has worked for me. You know, obviously if you pick every single battle and you go sort of guns blazing on every single, you know, idea, um, you know, you, you, you burn out pretty quickly. So uh, those are kind of two things uh, that guide me. One, always, always know what your passion is and go with that because, you know, you need to have a sense of purpose and you need to fulfill it in life. And second, you know, when you really, really have got something in your mind that's worth, you know, the battle of your lifetime, go for it. Um, but just make sure that you pick your times and spots and generally you'll have success. Amazing. Thanks. And Mark, thank you so much for taking the time um, again to join me on Let's Shape the Future. I'd, I'd encourage anyone to go back to our previous episode and compare the conversations between then and now. It'll be really interesting to see how things have changed. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it, Ben. Uh, fun as always. And let's hope uh, we beat the record this time on the, on the, re- the viewership here. It'd be, it'd be really cool if we can do that. Absolutely. 
And that's the end of a new episode of Let's Shape the Future. A big thank you for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoy the content. And if you did so, please share with any friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else you think would also enjoy it. And make sure to click that subscribe button just so you never miss an episode again. We've got some great guests coming up to round out season three. So we should have a great end to the series. Have a great week, guys.